It is the 200 level, episode 303, and we're going to title this one, Eight is Enough. And I'll explain what I mean by that. What is enough? Does that mean it's satisfying? Does that mean it's just merely enough to get by? Or is it cause for celebration? And as we sit here on what is a rainy, cloudy, kind of miserable Sunday morning, my mood does not match the weather. My mood most Sunday mornings in November has not been great. If you recall November 6th, the Sunday morning after the Michigan State game, if you want to recall that, I I tried to spin it into, okay, this is what happens. It was a bad loss. We'll get over it. After the Purdue game, that was a really dark weekend. There was no way I could spin that on Sunday, November 13th. On Sunday, November 20th, so last week, uh, I was up in Michigan. I didn't do a podcast. I was turning my focus back to basketball to get over what was a a bummer, a bummer at Michigan. And then yesterday, you know, I mean, can we call it an underwhelming 41-3 to win against Northwestern? I actually thought that overall we didn't play that great, but Northwestern stinks and we made big plays on defense and before you knew it, it was over. This team won 8-4 and four, and as someone that has been an Illini fan, football fan, and I'll be honest about that, probably since 1999-2000 because back in the early 90s, I was younger and football is not really a sport for the attention, uh, the ADHD kind of uh, younger kid that I was. I, not that I was ever diagnosed with it, but it was easy for me to watch a two-hour basketball game. But three and a half hours watching college football when you're seven or eight years old, that, that's a slog. And even now, I sometimes find myself losing interest depending on how the game's going. So that means for about 23 years, I've been really focused, laser-focused on Illini football. And in most of those seasons, as we well know, it hasn't went well. And often it's been embarrassing. On top of just being kind of bad, it's been embarrassing. And you get to a point where you wonder, well, why do I root for this program in the first place? And then each offseason hits and you start telling yourselves, well, maybe we can do this, that, or the other this year. And then the season starts and you get three or four games into it and quickly realize, no, nothing's different. It's the same exact dog and pony show that we've seen so many times. Well, when we got into this season, I made the prediction of 7-5 and five based on what I thought was an easy schedule, though some of those opponents I didn't realize would be as beatable as they ended up being. And also because there were enough returning guys, and I believed in Bielema and the staff to think they're going to make a bowl game, and I think best case scenario, there'll be a game above 500. I did not predict eight and four because I didn't think it was going to happen. It would take a lot of things to go right for that to happen. And it's weird to sit here on this Sunday morning thinking that this eight and four, a lot of things actually went against you to preclude you from going nine and three, 10 and two, that you were closer to 10 and two than you were six and six. But at the end of this 12 game season, if you say, are you what your record is, which I know is not good grammar, but let me restate that. The, the phrase, you are you are what your record is? Is that what it is? Jesus, why am I stumbling over my words today? Is this team an 8-4 and four team? Yeah. Not just in terms of what you see in the win-loss standings or anything like that, but while this team had moments where they looked like they could be a 10-2 team, and even after the 7-1 start, I predicted they're going to win out. And they weren't that far from doing it, but, well, they didn't. They lost three of their last five. But this is an 8-4 and four team. Ultimately, that is a fair reflection of what they are, which is to say occasionally brilliant, but still a team that is year two of what is hopefully a long tenure for Brett Bielema and much of his staff. That as we get from season to season, my hope is that we look back on year two of Bielema as a foundational setting year. If I were to do the apples and oranges comparison between our football and basketball programs, I would say, is this all that dissimilar from Brad Underwood's third year? Now, the difference being, in Brad Underwood's third year, they actually struggled early on. If you recall, they lost a couple non-conference games. They got smoked by Missouri. And as late as January 2nd that year, they got smoked at Michigan State. We didn't know where that team was going. And then they got red hot, and the season ends, and then COVID hits. But we felt like, wow, um, things are really building. Now, that's the one difference between Brad Underwood's third year and Bielema's second year is that the success came late for Underwood's team 
And for this Bielema team, the success came a little bit earlier. And it was really that middle part of the season. It was games, if we break it up into thirds, right? The first four games, you were 3-1, and one, but you had a disappointment in Indiana, and you didn't know if you'd really played anybody. But it was those middle four games. And this is where the season really became a success, despite what happened in the last four. At Wisconsin was just immensely impressive. Iowa at home, given the circumstances, very impressive. Minnesota at home, perhaps the best start-to-finish performance of the year, despite only a 12-point margin. And then Game 8 was at Nebraska. That middle four stretch right there, right? If that would have been the last four games of the year, we're sky high. Let's say this team was 4-4 four and four and we're thinking, where the hell are they going? And they win the last four, and they finish 8-4. and four. We are ecstatic. As we sit here this morning, it is a bittersweet 8-4. and four. And I think for fairly justifiable reasons. So what we're going to get into today is the macro, as we often do with the 200 level. But this season, 8-4, and four, what does it mean in the immediate, like right now, what does it mean for us as Illini fans in 2022? What does it mean going forward? And how will the legacy of this team be written beyond just this season? Because if there's one thing that I've learned from Illini basketball and their resurgence, it's that often the legacy of a team is not written until years later. And the way that we're seeing Illini basketball have this just crazy amount of success right now and how freaking good they are, because I know it was Lindenwood on Friday, but we are good, okay? Do not let the end of the Virginia game fool you. This team is absolutely scary. But we don't get to that point if it isn't for a season like 2020, if it isn't for getting a guy like Kofi or Io, These are all foundational pieces that have helped lead Underwood to... This program where it is right now, where it just feels like a well-oiled machine that has no signs of stopping. Well, maybe, just maybe, this season was similar to that for football. And if you were to ask yourself, how confident are you in Brett Bielema going forward? I would say that despite what happened during that three-game losing streak, your confidence is still pretty high. And let's talk about that after I hit the sponsors real quick. The immediate and the long-term impact of going 8-4 and in 2022 because it is cause for celebration. And while I'm not going to smoke a cigar or drink a whiskey in honor of just missing the Big Ten title game, 8-4 and as an Illini football fan, that still feels pretty good. So I'll take it, and I'm already looking at both destinations. We'll, of course, talk about that. But before I get too far ahead of myself... Got to thank our sponsors, of course, starting with DP Doe. They've been with us from the very get-go. I appreciate Steve and the fellas over there at DP Doe. And these guys have been around for 16 going on 17 years coming up. We did their 15th anniversary last year, but coming up 16, 17 years. And for anyone that knows the U of I campus and how much has changed, that speaks volumes to just how good they are at what they do. Um, DP Doe has amazing prices still, even with inflation, you know, you hardly get a better bang for your buck when it comes to food places in Champaign-Urbana. So order online at dpdoe.com. That is dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So maybe you get one for the 630 tip. Syracuse game, isn't that nice to not have to wait until 8? You can have dinner with DP Doe Tuesday night. Just order online at dpdoe.com. Also got to thank Rector Construction. Online at R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com. Uh, one sec, queuing something up on my computer here. All right, so even though we are getting into colder temperatures, these guys can essentially work year-round on any home exterior project you may be thinking about. So go online to RectorConstruction.com, get a free quote today. These guys are expert craftsmen, great customer service, and as a townie myself, I appreciate how much they give back to Champaign-Urbana. That is R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com. Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent, online at BrianIsMyGuy.com. We have homeowners and auto from Brian. So the State Farm prices, as you would expect, probably won't be beat by any competitor, but it's really the customer service that we get from Brian and his staff that have made it a very easy choice for us to not only start with Brian two years ago, but we're just going to keep going with him because he just makes it really easy for us. We're, we are insurance laymen. We want to be able to know that we can just trust our guy and we can. So why not make Brian your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. And finally... Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Are you tired of high energy and gas bills? Did you know that upgrading your HVAC system is one of the easiest ways to decrease your utility bills? Well, with a new 
Lennox high-efficiency HVAC system. Keep your family warm and comfortable this winter with more reliability and lower bills. Give Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing a call today at 217-841-4728. You may also qualify for a $700 rebate when you install the Diakin Mini Splits. That is a ductless um, heating and cooling system for your home. I don't know if you guys have seen your utility bills recently. Ours are getting a little bit high, high up there, so that might not be a bad idea. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing at 217-841-4728. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. All right, let me get some coffee here. Full disclosure, not very happy with my first 10 minutes of podcasting. Some some mornings and some evenings, things just roll off your tongue. I've already had a few stumbles, and I think that may partially be due to the fact that I am kind of in the process of figuring out what this season means. I want to start, if we can, we need to get this out of the way, the disappointment of the last four weeks, because to not acknowledge it would be drinking too much Kool-Aid. I won't take more than a couple minutes on this. You're 7-1, and one, you beat Nebraska, and at that point, I, I called on this program, I said, Illinois will win out, and it didn't happen. The Michigan State game, as I mentioned in the opening segment, I, at the time, treated it like the aberration that I thought it was. Okay, a get-right game is due for this team against Purdue, and then that didn't happen either. That was honestly the one moment this season where I was, um, I should say too, the Indiana game early on and the Purdue game, those left me pissed really pissed off and they were blown opportunities but as we saw yesterday with Purdue it closed it out at Indiana I mean their second half was super impressive it's not as if they aren't deserving and to me it is a bit of an easier pill to swallow knowing that the team representing the Big Ten West just straight up beat you and if you were would have played that game 10 times that day and we can talk about the Witherspoon interception that was a pass interference and then how the next play was a touch yes that was a key moment of the game it was but Purdue still outplayed you in the second half too that was early mid-second quarter when the Witherspoon thing happened you had plenty of time to figure things out you didn't Purdue outplayed you they certainly outplayed Indiana and they are a deserving representative of this muddled mucked up Big Ten West good for them and actually, I don't really have any hate towards Purdue. I mean, what, what's my beef with Purdue? There's no rivalry there. And listening to Aiden O'Connell yesterday, it seems like, oh, he's a nice guy. Jeff Brom, okay, he's somewhat understated, but good coach. And then it came to me that this is year five of Jeff Brom and what he's doing at Purdue. And the disappointments and the bittersweet nature of this 8-4 and four season in Brett Bielema's second year were tempered by the fact that Jeff Brom took five years to ultimately break through. There were signs of promise. If you're a Purdue fan, you're thinking, yeah, I think we got our guy, but how great is he? You know, I mean, it remains to be seen. And then finally, Jeff Brom in year five gets that tangible thing that Purdue fans have been waiting for. Keep in mind, this is a Purdue team that back in 2018, I believe, was it 20? Yeah, 2018. It was the same day that I was up in uh, Madison to see Illinois get smoked by Wisconsin. And that night they smoked Ohio State at home. And you're thinking, wow, Purdue's really turning it on. And then really, it's kind of been starts and stops and six, seven, eight, and then last year, nine win season. They have really developed into a consistent winner. And I'll take their five years. If you tell me Bielema is going to match Jeff Brom in his first five years, I'd take that. It took Jeff Brom five years for something tangible and in the way of a Big Ten West Division title and a banner or something that you can hang at ross Aid Stadium. So when will Brett Bielema get his? I don't know. But yes, we can start by acknowledging the disappointment that this team will not be playing in Indy. When it was 7-3 to Indiana yesterday, and they were running the ball with their running quarterback, who I didn't even know they made a quarterback change. And then Illinois takes a 7-0 lead. I'm, I got the Illinois game on the big screen down here, and on my laptop I have the Purdue-Indiana game. And at about 3.30 p.m. Central Time yesterday, an hour into each game, I thought, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And I started thinking, okay, don't start looking at hotels in Indy because I had canceled mine after the Purdue game, understandably, very angrily, cancel booking, pissed off. 
But I, I said, hold off, wait until 6 o'clock, let these games play out. Well, very quickly, Purdue asserted themselves in the second half. This is a long-winded way of saying, we can be disappointed for not going to Indy, but ultimately, Purdue deserves it, one, for beating you head-to-head, and two, you don't deserve it because you didn't win when it mattered the most. That is the negative of how this season ended. When it mattered most, you didn't get it done. You could have won at Michigan, and it still would not have mattered because you would not, not have had that head-to-head tiebreaker against Purdue. You had to have a three-way tie at the top. We, we could sit here and try to think of all the hypotheticals. How does Illinois get to Indy? But ultimately, they kept it pretty simple. They came in here and they beat you. That game, more than any of the other three-game losing streak we had, was the one that pissed me off because we fans knew what it was. I think the team knew what it was. Essentially a play-in game for Indy, and they laid an egg. It choked. I wouldn't use that term very much, but when you consider the circumstances and that we were mostly healthy, I mean, what was the reasoning for us coming out, I think, somewhat flat against Purdue? I thought it was a fairly uninspired performance given the circumstances. So that's the negatives. Last four weeks, even the Northwestern game, I didn't think we played our best, but you smoked them. Um, This team seemed to be just kind of huffing and puffing, wheezing to the finish line. And the Michigan game was a last gasp and dadgummit, you know, you probably should have had it if it weren't for um, not being able to get a couple first downs when he needed to and for some officiating calls that, yes, were questionable. And please, chat window, remind me to talk about Bielema and his beef with the officials because I got thoughts on that. But negatives aside, you're eight and four. You don't get to go to Indy. That is true. I would have loved an opportunity to play Michigan again, but I don't know all things considered, if this team is in the right head space or even physical well-being space, for lack of a better term, to turn around and play yet again this Saturday. I feel like they are spent. Okay, 12 games. They need a break. I really think that. You saw them sputter in a way that I didn't anticipate they would, and I wonder how much of that is mental in terms of them figuring out how do we play as a lead dog How do we play as the team with a target on our backs? How do we play with the expectations of, oh, you guys are going to win all these games? Because during that 7-1 start, they were able to use that chip on their shoulder effectively, very effectively. And then it seems like after the bye week, while the win at Nebraska was impressive in some ways, there wasn't the same mojo going, right? There wasn't that same sort of swagger that we saw early on. I do wonder how much of that was mental. And then the flip side of it was the physical part of it where, We knew this team lacked depth to a certain degree, and some injuries in the secondary may have hurt you, but I just think an overall fatigue might have crept in as well. And this team played balls to the wall in that 7-1 start. This may sound like I'm trying to make excuses for losing some of these games. I think that, in a way, the Michigan State and Purdue losses were inexcusable, regardless of the factors I just mentioned. But... While they're somewhat inexcusable, they're also somewhat understandable. And then that leads me to the more macro picture, that you're a second-year team for this new coaching staff that is trying to build some longevity here. And we hopefully will look back on this three or four years from now and say, okay, well, that was part of the process. This is part of becoming a program that knows how to win, is that you were not going to go from five wins to 11. It just doesn't happen very much. And by the way, I've seen that happen, where you've went from the five-win Illini team in 2000, then you won 10 in 2001, and that meteoric rise, that kind of crazy jump, ultimately did a disservice to the program, because there wasn't a chip on their shoulder heading into the offseason. I was very heartened to hear yesterday in the postgame press conference, Brett Bielema talked about how the way the season ended... Um, he, I don't know if he said chip on his shoulder, but he did say for a coaching staff, that is just the sort of thing they need to galvanize them in the off season. I know in those offices, they're thinking to themselves, damn it. We really blew a golden opportunity. They feel good about the in four record. They have plenty of things they can sell, but as guys that are probably perfectionists, I mean, when you reach that level, you kind of have to be, they have to ultimately be a little bit unhappy with how things ended. I like that mindset going into an entire offseason. And we'll see if it pays dividends next year. And 
I'll say this right off the bat. We got plenty of time to make predictions for 2023, which is kind of futile given the fact that we don't know what many key parts of the roster are even going to look like. We don't know who our QB is going to be. But I think that's a season where if you can win seven games and just get back to a bowl game and, and show, you don't need to be spectacular next year. You know, I think that going eight and four takes a little bit of the onus off, continue to compete. If you can go seven and five next year. Okay, now we're starting to stack bowl games. And I do think that this is a process where I don't expect all of a sudden next year they go 10 and two. Maybe they do. I don't expect it though. And that is actually kind of a, a, a nice place to be in. As long as they don't crap the bed next year, I'll probably be more at ease than this season. Because this season, the only time I was at ease, and it's always a scary place to get to that when you're a little too content, a little too comfortable, even as a fan. I was really pissed off after game two, and then there was that crazy middle stretch of the season where I started to feel a little bit too comfortable, and then the ultimate disappointment. I think the disappointments of those uh, three games in November ultimately were a good reset for me going into next year. As a fan, I will try, and keyword is try, I can't make any promises, to stay more even keel and acknowledge that this is still a program in year three under Bielema that will go through some ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. And that's just how it is. Until you reach a certain plateau of sustained success, you are not going to play perfect football and you're going to have disappointments, but hopefully in equal measure or more so, you have pleasant surprises. So that's just a very quick, okay, what do I need to see next year to not be disheartened? Just make a bowl game, seven and five. Um, and that to me would be an indicator that they are really solidifying things because next year's team is going to have a really weird mix of younger guys that are going to be thrust into positions where they need to play more and a lot of transfer portal stuff. You, you need to do that. And I think they will do so successfully, but all that is to say, they are going to have a lot of fresh faces, whether they be guys that were in the program or guys just coming in. There's no guarantees or something like that. And I think that that will lead to some inconsistency that we didn't even see this year. All right, before I get too far into any of this, we got a lot of cool stuff here in the chat thread I want to hit up. Uh, Stephen Colbert says, Night Shifter still can't sleep after a good sports weekend. It was a good sports weekend. You know, I was honestly just happy yesterday, Stephen, after the win at Northwestern. I think it hit me that 8-4 and four is really good, and I'm happy with it. Not ecstatic. Ecstatic would have been finishing 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two and going to Indy, which I would have loved to be planning on that. But as it stands, 8-4 and four is reason to be happy. John says, I think one of the 24-7 guys said it best, a good end to a crummy month, which ended a great season. That's a good way to put it. Good end to a crummy month, which ended a great season. Focusing on that word great, John, I think this is where expectations get tricky because any of us, of course, would have taken eight and four. It's the path that it took to get there, which makes the word great a little bit hard to say. However, historically speaking, it is great by Illinois football standards. And I know that's skinniest kid of fat, fat camp argument, but I I would be, and someone, John, it might have even been you. I think someone said this in the last podcast, though. You know, the minute we stop celebrating eight and four seasons as Illinois football fans is when we've lost the thread. You know, I, I've said repeatedly, all I need, all I need, seven, eight, the occasional nine win season, give me reasons to look forward to college football Saturdays. We're there. I look forward to college football Saturdays. I'm looking at hotels in Nashville and now Tampa because it does appear to be leaning towards Tampa. And even talking to Kara like, hey, you want a quick two-night trip to Tampa for the new year? I mean, come on. Um, yeah, it's gotten me back, John. It's gotten me excited about football Saturdays in a way that I have not been since the Rose Bowl year because even the 2010 and 2011 teams with Ron Zook, those teams were so freaking inconsistent, and we were already kind of done with Zook at that point. We all knew what he was, and uh, it was hard to get as emotionally invested in those teams because you always felt like the rug would get pulled out from under you. Despite the three-game losing streak in November, I, I don't feel that way with this coaching staff. They will continue to lay some eggs until they get top-level talent across the board, or unless we're seven, eight years into it. This will take time, 
but they were ahead of schedule and eight and four is worth celebrating. And I think the word great is apt when you consider the historical context of Illinois football. So John, I will go with great. I, I will agree with that. I think nine and four, you know, what does a bowl game mean? I just know nine and four looks and feels better than eight and five. And any bit of momentum you can grab back going into the offseason, because that was the key thing in November. We we had so much momentum going on. Seven and one, beat Nebraska. Game day was gonna come if we had just beaten Michigan State. It felt like, oh my God, this is this is a dream season. You lost a lot of that momentum. And not a lot of people, if we're being honest, watched that Illinois Northwestern game yesterday. It was an afterthought. That game always has been. So to get some true momentum back on a national stage, I think an impressive win in a bowl game would do that. And I do like Brett Bielema with extended time to prep for an opponent. And real quick before I forget this point, you know, being a bowl game and having guys that would go into the draft, how many would sit out of it? I mean, Devin Witherspoon has no reason to play because he's probably a first-round pick at this point. And kudos to him. I, I don't think he should risk that. Everyone else is borderline enough where I'd be surprised if there was a lot of, you know, four or five guys that said, ah, I'm sitting on the bowl game because of my draft prospects. I think for the most part, you'll have a fully intact team. And without Witherspoon, that hurts for sure. But um, you should have basically your full complement of players. And I think an inspired team because the Northwestern game, they came out pissed off, like they said. I think it's time to just, okay, take the reset these five weeks, be totally fresh, and, and get back to just playing for fun. Uh, that, that sounds really cheesy and, and, and lame. I get that. But this team was having fun in the middle of the season. And I, I hope that when it's December 31st or January 2nd, that they come out ready to knock some heads and, and just win the bowl game, whoever they play against. And they are probably in a good spot as well to play an opponent that is beatable. If they had had the dream season, right? And then they face Alabama in Purdue might play Alabama in the Citrus, though I think Alabama probably goes to New Year's Six. If you would have the dream 10-2 and two season, and then you lose the Big Ten title game, and then you lose to an Alabama in a New Year's Six game, and you're 10-4, and four, well, really, is there a dramatic difference between that and going 9-4 and four with a win over Florida in the ReliQuest Bowl? You know? I mean, the immediate, we would prefer to have played in the Big Ten title game and prefer to be in a New Year's Six game, but I don't mind the fact that for a bowl game, you are now in, I think, a pretty good spot to play a team that is comparable to you, and I like this Illinois team, after a long break, to just come and refresh. They, I think they need it mentally and physically. All right, this is from Illini Brickroll. Just looking at the record, it's beyond my expectations for the year, but living through it, it's the feeling of a lot of loss because we were close so many times. You know, Illini Brick Girl, um, it was difficult during the three-game losing streak to not fall back into patterns of, I don't want to say woe is me because that that almost makes it sound illegitimate. As Illini fans, we have sometimes legitimate reasons to feel as if the sports universe is against us. I think Jay Lehman was talking, and if anyone in the chat thread knows, I did not listen to the Jay Lehman, Jeremy Warner podcast after the Michigan game because I was, I didn't want to relive that game. You know, I, I I watched every single solitary second of that game, only to have the rug pulled out from under me yet again. And I think Jay Lehman referenced Rose Bowl flags. That there is something that is commonly known that teams that are in position to make the Rose Bowl or now the CFP or New Year's Six that towards the end of the season, they're going to get those favorable calls, whether that be in the way of a flag getting thrown or a flag not getting thrown. And I buy that. You know, I it, it might sound conspiratorial, but at a certain point, and this is a good opportunity to talk about Bielema's tweet yesterday. At a certain point, when you see enough of these indicators to suggest that maybe the universe is against you when it comes to officiating, I mean, it would be foolish of me to not acknowledge there's maybe some legitimacy there. But I do think it would be foolish of me to um, not talk about the fact that, yeah, the Michigan game, the fourth and three of the pick play, the game would have been over, right? If they had just called the flag that should have been called. The Devin Witherspoon interception, though I don't know why. <laughs> that was probably just a bad call. It's like they were trying to get Purdue to the Rose Bowl. But you see enough 
time after time over the years to think, okay, Ohio State and Michigan probably do get favorable calls. So Brett Bielma yesterday in a tweet um, that got a lot of attention, understandably, had uh, mentioned that you know we didn't get done everything we wanted to get done, and uh, congrats to Purdue and Michigan. Uh, would love to get them on a neutral field with neutral officials. Let me pull up this tweet and make sure I'm getting what what I need to with this because it was actually a very pointed tweet that uh, didn't mince any words whatsoever. Let me make sure I get this right here. Congrats to both teams and all they've accomplished. Saw both teams on the field and didn't get it done. Would love the opportunity to meet both again on a neutral field and officials. Wow. Can't happen this year, but family, hashtag family, we will be there sooner than later, hashtag IOL. That's a pissed off Brett Bielema. I, I don't mind it. I know some will roll their eyes and say, come on, man, you had opportunities to win those games, and that is 100% true. They did, regardless of officiating. But the Indiana game, you had a touchdown taken away from you. The Purdue game, you had an interception taken away from you. The next play, touchdown for Purdue. The Michigan game on the game-winning play, what would have been fourth and three, a pick play by Michigan, no offensive pass interference called. They go on to kick the game-winning field goal. Now, we could say other plays could have been made in those games, but knowing the nature of college football, these games tend to be decided on a play or two. That's the nature of it. And Illinois right now as a football program is not in a position where they can make the five, six, seven extra plays a game to make up for the one or two crucial ones. That's not where we're at. I think it's totally justified for him to be pissed off about that. And uh, I don't know, as, as a fan of a football program that is still rightfully considered an underdog and historically a doormat in the Big Ten, I don't mind the fact that our coach is willing to say those words. I I don't mind being the pissed off, forgotten stepchild that clearly the Big Ten officiating office is not going to give the calls to us. This is human nature, human nature for certain players or certain teams to get calls that others would not. So I'm not going to dismiss it. I tried to ignore it throughout the year. It is not the main reason that we lost some of these games, but it is partially a reason why the Indiana game wasn't a win. I mean, for Christ's sakes, he caught two touchdowns in one play, and they said none. And at that point, you just shrug your shoulders, and it it almost is like a pit in your stomach because you're waiting for the next time that officiating screws you over. And if you're an Ohio State fan, you can laugh at us, and that's fine. It's apples and oranges. You're Ohio State. We are not even on the same wavelength, even though we play better against Michigan than you did. Michigan, same thing. Historically, they could look at us and laugh. As a Yankees fan, I can relate how, um, you know, this would be like a Tampa Rays fan complaining about it, saying the Yankees get all the calls. And I'm like, ah, you're Tampa, shut up. But as an Illini football fan, I get it. And I don't mind a coach that embodies a little bit of that us against the world thing. And then more importantly, I think the key thing of that tweet, whatever rallying cry you need to use in that locker room. We could say it's a lack of accountability that he should be like, guys, the officiating sucked, but the reason we lost those games is mostly because of your inability to execute down the stretch. He could have said that, and that is true accountability. But I don't necessarily mind the fact that a tweet like that to me seems to be a coach rallying around his guys and saying, I hear you, I feel you, we got screwed, you guys, most importantly, got screwed, and I'm going to make sure that people know about it. If that means that others interpret Brett Bielema as a crybaby, so be it. You think Brett cares? He's making $3.5 million and I'm sure he'll get extended and get a raise, probably soon to be making 5 or $6 million a year. By the way, Matt Ruley, or however you say his name in Nebraska, is making $9 million a year. And Luke Fickle at Wisconsin, we'll see. Pretty good hires from both, probably. But I don't care. I'm fine. As an Illini football fan, I'm okay being that little yappy dog that nips at your ankles and is just kind of annoying. Illinois basketball doesn't have to do that because historically we are one of the better Big Ten programs. Okay, great. We can be the lead dog. We can be a front runner in basketball. That's what we're comfortable with. And it's more of a puffing out your chest. With football, it's going to be a long while before we would ever get to that point. So in the interim, why not be that little yappy, annoying dog to the other teams? 
I don't care if we annoy other people. You know, like this is fandom. This is sports. This is how um, it should be. And if Illinois football annoys others for speaking out against what truly is just pitiful officiating, you know, yesterday was fine because the game didn't mean anything and the officiating would have had an impact on it anyways. But in games that are toss-ups, like the Michigan game, a team that's going to be in the college football playoff and you should have beat, are, are we not paying enough attention to the fact that you damn near beat Michigan? I mean, that was an impressive performance from Illinois. And a couple more first downs would have done it. Um, but so would the fourth and third. Fourth and three, excuse me. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm kind of talking circles here, and I want to see what you guys think about that. Um, from K. Andrew, I like Brett's tweet. Better to galvanize the team against the officials than have them question the staff on missed opportunities. Great locker room attitude tweet. And K. Andrew adds, yes, I know there were horrible, horrible calls against Illinois this year. And also, thank you for the clarification. <laughs> uh, Rule. Rule is the guy's name in Nebraska. He's their new coach. He'll probably be solid. John mentions this. I'm tired of our coaches taking it, and Brett's tweet was a breath of fresh air. He has put the Big Ten on notice that we are not going to be quiet about referee incompetence anymore. I think as far as college officiating goes in general, uh, it's worth speaking out against. These have major implications. Missed calls, poor officiating, goes beyond just, oh, that was a bad call. You know, if Illinois beats Michigan, the ramifications that come as a result of that, first internally and with the Illinois program at large, it would have been monstrous for this program. And he didn't get it. And uh, I think out of self-preservation, I'm not focusing on that more, but it would have been a major, major shift. It would have completely Made, I really do think this, even if you don't make it to Indy. And you wouldn't have because Purdue won yesterday. But it would have more than made up for the two previous weeks. I, Crazy as it sounds, I'll take 9-3 and three with the win over Michigan, not making Indy, then 8-4 and four with Purdue losing yesterday. I think beating Michigan would have had a bigger impact than making the Big Ten title game. I really do. I don't know if that's a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm just saying nine and three, and then you don't play that 13th game in the Big Ten title game. I think on the recruiting trail, you say, hey, we took this team that's probably still going to go to the college football playoff. We beat them. That's where we're at. We don't get to say that now. We can say we competed. Maybe that works for some recruits, but yeah, that kind of stuff has major consequences. And uh, it's a damn shame for that to have had for that to have happened. And uh, I'm looking at the Indiana game and thinking, you know, yeah, that alone would not have put you in Indy, but you would be nine and three and nine and three is better than eight and four. I mean, wins matter. And to feel as if officiating does have that much of an impact on a game. Why don't give me the human element thing. And don't tell me it's that hard of a job because there are far harder jobs than being an official even for college football. And I know that game was very quick. There's a lot of things to keep keep track of, but um, just the absolute inconsistency and oftentimes incompetency. You know, if there's a guy to do it, it's Brett Bielema, who's now in his second go-round of the Big Ten, who doesn't give a blank. He does not care. And to that, I agree, John, it is a breath of fresh air. Uh, let's see here. Anybody else about that? Uh, some other comments, so I'll get off the officiating thing. Um, Big Tota says, today is a good feeling. Regular season, end the regular season on a high note. Get a decent bull bid. Has some momentum going into recruiting season and transfer season with a winning record. Yeah, get that momentum going back again, Big Tota. While the Northwestern game alone doesn't bring back a, a, a huge wave of momentum, I think as we sit here on the Sunday, most people would say, hey, Illinois had a pretty good year. If you're a Big Ten football fan, right, and you're looking from afar, yeah, they didn't make it to Indy, but it's still a pretty good team. I think most people that watch this team knew that they were a pretty good football team and that their record, they might even be a one or two better than their eight and four record. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the way that you won two Big Tota, I mean, let's not gloss over the fact that Northwestern owned us for most of Pat Fitzgerald's tenure. And in the last two years, we've outscored them, what, 88 to 17? 88 to 10, 88-11, some ridiculous number. And I don't, again, think you even played well yesterday. I don't think the offense wasn't good. 
Special teams was good. Got to give him credit. The specialists were really good. And then defensively, you gave up some yardage, but you just made plays. I mean, you essentially took this attitude that they will screw up and we're going to be ready for it. And it was like the least impressive 41-3 to win over a rival I've ever seen. But I think that speaks to just how bad Northwestern is. And that's another factor, too. You get them on the schedule every year. You don't get Rutgers anymore, and that's a bummer. Or do you get Rutgers next year? You get Maryland, Penn State, and Indiana. Okay, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good break right there. Um, you get Northwestern every year. And until they actually prove they can turn this around, Pat Fitzgerald hasn't had to do an, a turnaround within his tenure yet. He had the occasional bad season, but immediately would follow that up. Now there are three out of four seasons where they've won three or fewer games. And that is a trend more than it is an aberration. The one year they made the Big Ten title game in 2020, the COVID year, you know, a lot of things happened to help lead them to that spot. There's something truly broken with them right now. And it's not like they have a huge influx of talent that's going, going to be able to overcome that. You are actually in a very advantageous spot where you can kind of look at that schedule and say, okay, where are the other five wins coming from? And... That's a good place to be. So I like that our rival, our protected rival, is this Northwestern program where they are. K. Andrew said, I made peace with the No Big Ten West by Michigan game kickoff time. So I'm just happy and content with 8-4 and four today, and it's a good feeling. K. Andrew, I had made peace with it too. You know, I had canceled the, um, canceled the hotel room in Indy. I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. And then after Iowa lost to Nebraska, I thought, oh, okay, interesting. And I actually woke up yesterday thinking it was going to happen. So I allowed myself to get back down that rabbit hole a little bit, but not so deep where I was angry when Purdue took control of that game. And very quickly, I made peace with it and said, okay, first off, save your pennies for the bowl game and uh, enjoy next Saturday just watching some conference title games and and not presume. Here's the thing. We could say a rematch against Michigan would go well. We could say that. And maybe it would, and maybe we would exact revenge on Michigan. There is the alternative, though. And I've seen this with Michigan before. I'll go back to 2001. We thought we're going to get revenge for that fumble game, and we go into Ann Arbor, and we get spanked. Michigan is still Michigan. On that particular Saturday, you competed with them. You had a chance to win. Didn't quite get it done. I don't think it's as easy as saying, okay, just get another crack at them, and you'll get them this time. I don't think it's that easy. And... Boy, if there's such a thing as a quarterback finding himself in one day, J.J. McCarthy, in one day, what he did it was absolutely incredible. Um, what is he, a sophomore? So we get two more years of that guy? Great. Uh, though you won't play the next year, and I'm not sure about two years from now either. Uh, let's see. I want to make sure if there's anything else here. That I missed in the thread. Big Tota says, selfishly, I want Nashville for the ease of driving from Southern Illinois. Yeah, the ease of it for sure, Big Tota. And as someone that doesn't love flying, um, but would happily do so if they're in Tampa, I've kind of made peace that I'm going to go wherever this is. Okay, so it's going to be Nashville or Tampa. I think it's safe to say. I think the more I think about it, it makes more sense that they would be in Tampa. Ohio State, okay, so Michigan College Football Playoff, Ohio State, Penn State in the New Year's Six, whether that be Rose and Cotton or whatever um, that might be. Purdue, if they win, they go to the Rose, but I still think ultimately you're looking at the top four Big Ten spots or College Football Playoff, two New Year's Six, and Citrus, and that leaves the fifth spot for the ReliQuest Bowl, formerly the Outback Bowl, one of my favorites, because it's the first one on New Year's Day. This year, it is on January 2nd because of the NFL being on New Year's Day. So as I think about it, uh, that kind of makes the most sense. They are not going to take Iowa. They've had Iowa almost every other year, pretty much. And I don't think they're going to take Minnesota over you. So I think you're going to Florida. And it'll be interesting to see if we get whispers of that throughout the week, because a lot of these will kind of be figured out beforehand. I know that if Purdue wins, that could change their destination, but I I still think the way it shakes out, the four teams in front of you in the Big Ten, they take all the spots right up until the ReliQuest Bowl. I mean, Penn State's going to be in a New Year's Six. Ohio State is going to be in a New Year's Six. The only question is, does Purdue win their way into the Rose Bowl and then Ohio State slips to the Citrus? I don't know, but would you spend 
New Year's in Tampa? I would. I'm looking at hotels. Not bad. You know, stay around the airport. Flights, not bad. Uh, The stadium, a mile away from the airport. Uh, I'll take two days to get out of here and go down to Tampa. Why the hell not? I have actually, you know, if I recall back in the 2001 season when they kept winning and I thought, man, I would love to make the Citrus Bowl. And to me, that's still this weird thing I have. I really want to make the Citrus Bowl. But short of that, I'll take the Outback Bowl. And I know it's for Quest now, but to me, it'll always be the Outback Bowl, the Bloomin' Onion. Uh, it's the first game on a, the best bowl day in college football. So, yeah, I love that. And I think it would ultimately be great for this team. It's great exposure. You play an SEC team like a Florida, a team that is comparable to you. And if you win, you feel great. And if you lose, well, I guess it depends on how you lose. But um, you're in Tampa, Florida. So how pissed off could you be, really? All right, this is from Michael. This is just year two. I'm excited about this year. I had more fun at the games than I've had for so long. That was a fantastic year. Now, the hard part, consistency. Can we keep it going? I think the answer is yes this time. And I I tend to agree, Michael. I tend to think that this is different than other times I've seen Illinois have success. And that I am less depressed, for lack of a better word, over the three-game losing streak than I normally would be because in past years, it would feel like that was the moment. That was the opportunity. Well, there's no guarantee that Brett Bielema is going to work out, but at least there's a track record with him beforehand that shows that it very well may. And that softened the blow, I think, of the three-game losing streak where it's more of a, ah, darn it, part of the process. What a bummer. Hopefully, as a program, they learn how to avoid those sorts of slip-ups. And I think that they ultimately will. What will be interesting to me, Michael, is how does year three go? And there's so many unknowns. But I think that goes a long way to consistency. They don't need to be as good next year as they were this year. And I don't think they will be. You know, this team, while eight and four, I think is an accurate record because, well, while the officials sucked, you kind of blew these games in your own way. Eight and four was accurate. I think a seven and five season next year would go a long way in establishing that consistency you speak of does not need to be a great year three. It doesn't. It just needs to be good. And the year that I thought we were going to have this year, if we get that next year, I'm very happy and very optimistic that things are really starting to stabilize. And then you'll be into that kind of period of a program where we're seeing Underwood right now, this this crazy amount of comfort as a fan and knowing that Brad Underwood and that basketball program, they know exactly what they are and what they're good at. And that's similarly with football. Um, I think by the time you get into year four, if you've made two bowl games in year two and three, you're starting to think, oh, they, they got it. We'll be okay. I mentioned how much fun these college football Saturdays are now with a relevant football team again. And I, I would love to get to the point, and I, I'm getting closer, but I'd love to get to the point where our college football Saturdays are givens. Meaning, it's not like every time we go to the stadium, we are sure that Illinois is going to win. But more often than not, when we go to lot 31 or wherever you tailgate and you get the tailgate set up and you're ready to go, your your focus is twofold. It's to have a great tailgate, but also, oh God, okay, so the game today, what do we need to do to win? For decades, two decades of my life, I've went to these tailgates and ultimately the game has been an afterthought because the team and the program hasn't given me enough to suggest that they knew how to win when it mattered. This team may not have won every game that mattered this year, but they also showed the ability to win very meaningful games in that swing in October and the rivalry game against Northwestern and another crack at it in the bowl game. All of these things gradually build up this level of confidence that when you go to these football Saturdays at Memorial Stadium, you are there for the game. And that's what I want to get to. And I'm pretty damn close, Um, if not there already, because... I I was that kind of person that said, okay, if there's a TV in the lot, why would I go in the game? Well, after the Virginia win, I thought, I should probably go back into these games. And then after the Wisconsin win, I said, I'm not missing another game. And until this thing really slips, I'm not staying in the lots. I'm going in the stadium. And to me, that that is a turn that if you've listened to this podcast, you know, that's kind of a big thing. I mean, I I was so disillusioned with Illini football that I was like, you got to show me before I invest again. And they showed me enough this year to make that kind of the new norm. I'm going to continue to go in the stadium.
And why wouldn't I? I mean, this this is uh, pretty good. Big Tota says, 7 and 5 next year shows consistency, which somehow always eludes us. But I fully trust Brett and believe he will get us on a consistent path. Yeah, I do too. And I know the big storyline, one of the many big storylines this season will be Ryan Walters. And if he stays or if he goes, we'll see with Colorado who had offered Deion Sanders. And that'd be an interesting fit. I think Deion would make more sense in the South, but would Auburn take that risk? I think it'd be exciting if they did. Um, And I think if you're Deion Sanders, you'd go Auburn over Colorado. But I would love for him to go to Colorado. That way that job closes up and you get Walters, hopefully for another couple years, because that, that makes a difference. It would probably land you Jair Hill. By the way, Malik Elzey, the wide receiver, wasn't Cincinnati the team that he was committed to and then decommitted from? And now Luke Fickle is gone. So shouldn't you land Malik Elzey? I mean, this could be a really good month for Illini football. And I would love to go down to Tampa, let's say, and feel like recruiting is really picking up. You got your quarterback for next year through the transfer portal and that we get to celebrate this season and this team down in Tampa and still look forward to the promise of 2023. That would be best case scenario for me. I want to see if I missed anything else here. Michael mentions the Pat Fitzgerald might have a harder time recruiting if we become consistently good. Yeah, 100%. That's not going to help his cause. And I want to make sure I didn't miss anything here in the chat window. I appreciate you guys joining me on this Sunday morning. Not my best effort. I feel like I've kind of been stumbling today, and I apologize for not being my most eloquent self. Hmm. This is from K. Andrew. I couldn't even be pissed after Purdue. I was so sad. Yeah, I was too. I was pissed and sad, whatever combination that is. Also, Witherspoon call never would have happened if offensive staff actually played for a single first down the possession before. Thank you, K. Andrew. I want to end on this real quick. So the officiating talk I had doesn't become the focus of this episode. The officiating sucks far too much. But I, I like to think that this coaching staff learns from their mistakes I think they learned a lot from year one when they went five and seven, and they were often too conservative. I think there were still flashes of that conservatism, and you mentioned one of those, K. Andrew, where we had an opportunity up 14 to seven to put our foot on their throat, and we didn't do it. And we had Reggie Love run for two rushes for minus one yard, and then in completion or something, then we punt it. And then that led to a Purdue touchdown and a tie game in halftime. So, yeah, I, I would like to think that they are continuing to learn and will become more aggressive. I think that that is the way college football is moving. And uh, yeah, I, if, if that continues to happen, I mean, here's the thing. There have been a lot of close losses and that's good and bad. I just want it to feel like each year that goes by, you have less of those heartbreakingly close losses, right? That closing these things out becomes more of the norm. And if so, then there's nothing to worry about. But if this continues to happen, four times a year, then okay. Yeah, you're competing, but figure out how to win those games. I do think, though, that they will do that. So I'm not overly concerned, but if we're in year three or four and that continues to happen at a high level, yeah. John says there's not one game on the schedule next year which is unwinnable. Three wins, Toledo, Florida Atlantic, Northwestern, nine toss-ups. And John, I love Indiana at home. Dare I say that's four? At Kansas is tough. Penn State at home. But you also get, let's see, who else do you get at home? Indiana, Northwestern, Wisconsin at home. I like that. And oh, what else for the Big Ten West? Nebraska at home. You know, I know they got good new coaches, but I would like to think that getting them at home will be a difference. Yeah, I think seven is fair. Knowing very little about next year's roster and who's coming back and who you're going to bring in, I think seven would be a very good goal for this team. I don't think Vegas is going to have us as that. I don't think that they buy that consistency yet. They need to see it. I would imagine the over-under for wins next year, regardless of who we bring in or not, is going to be like five and a half. Um, We're still going to be undersold, but I, I do trust that this thing is trending in the right direction. And even if there are a lot of unknowns, they'll find some way to turn it into a cohesive whole. Um, but yeah, I mean, hey, we're here on a Sunday, 8-4 and four football team, and life is good. We got Illinois-Syracuse on Tuesday night. I'll be here for a second-half pod. We haven't done one of those in a while. And had a great time at the game Friday with a friend that was in town. 
I mean, Lindenwood stunk, but we're just really good. And just sit back, relax, and enjoy this basketball team. I mean, they are freaking fun to watch. And a lot of it is the younger guys that are going to be here for a while. I mean, Sky Clark, hopefully for a while, because he's starting to come into his own. But Sincere Harris, um, Ty Rogers will find his role. I'm not worried about him. And Jaden Epps, just a baller. Um, it's a fun team. It's a program that's just cruising right now. So I'm, I'm loving every bit of it with very little pressure involved. And then we get a whole month of storylines for football as well, whether it be where are we going to play in the bowl game? What uh, transfer portal guys are we going to land? Who's our quarterback going to be? Uh, this is all fun. I mean, we are now at a better place for Illini sports, revenue sports than we have been in my lifetime. If I think about, okay, the chances of each sustaining success, it's never been like this in my life. So I'm really going to enjoy it the best I can. And one more here from NJ Alani. Time to start stacking recruiting, transfer portal, and on-field wins. Key for the next two or three years, realignment of the Big 16 will be interesting. The realignment will be interesting, and I know that people, and maybe rightly, say, well, you didn't make it to Indy this year, you'll never make it. I don't think it's that easy. You know, I well, clearly it's not that easy, but I don't think the prediction to say that Illinois, ah, they're never going to make it to Indy, I don't think it's that simple. I, I think that a lot of things are left to be figured out with realignment, and it may actually be advantageous to you. So yeah, we're adding Luke Fickle to Wisconsin and Matt Rule to Nebraska, but who's to say that you're going to play those guys consistently anyways once you get a 16-team conference? So maybe you're getting out of the Big Ten West just in time, though I would like to think that Illinois is getting better where all of a sudden Big Ten West teams are thinking, eh, it may not be bad to get out of the Big Ten West. Look at what Brett Bielema and Matt Rule and Luke Fickle are doing. You you got a coach that knows how to win. I feel comfortable with Brett Bielema, and regardless of how they realign, realign this conference. And one more from Big Tota. Ready to just curb stomp Syracuse? You should. And bring on Texas and Maryland. We got Maryland Friday. We got Texas next Tuesday, I think, at Madison Square Garden. Syracuse will be probably without their star freshman who slapped a Bryant player yesterday, Doug Edert, who was on St. Peter's last year, the guy with the mustache. Yeah, he got slapped by Syracuse's star freshman, and Jim Beheim's just a jerk. So if you're at the game, just boo Beheim for being just a surly bastard. I mean, Syracuse is just, I don't know. There's something just angry about that program. So have fun. Stripe the stadium. Check your whatever section you're in and wear the orange or blue as appropriate. And one more from Michael. I'll be following recruiting and transfer recruiting very closely this year. I think I will too, Michael. I normally don't. But now we know what holes will need to be filled on the roster. Michael continues, I can hardly wait to see how we fill in the spots and what multiple years with the same coordinators bring. And last point here, you know, Barry Lunny at times kind of bummed me out this year. I was a big fan and then he got the extension. I thought he really struggled down the stretch. But I do like continuity and I do think he is adaptable. Uh, You know, there are certain parts of his play calling that's stubborn, but certain parts of it that he will just try new things. And I do think with an offseason and figuring out um, once you get this roster intact, what are your strengths? And then the quarterback thing. I love Tommy DeVito. I don't think it's as easy as go get another Tommy. But I would love to see this offense with a more dynamic runner at quarterback. And I wouldn't be surprised if they target someone like that too. All right, everybody. That was a fun podcast. I appreciate you tuning in on this rainy Sunday morning. Um, Maybe I'll go watch the Bears lose to the Jets with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. Not much interest in that, but uh, what the hell? What else are you going to do on a rainy Sunday? Got to thank DPDO online at dpdo.com. All the best deals and prices online at dpdo.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call today at 217-841-4728. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com. For all your home exterior projects, rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. And uh, yeah, we'll be back Tuesday night for a second half pod during the Alani Syracuse game. I'd like to just blow the doors off of them, and I imagine that we will. I'm really high on this team, and I think it's a good matchup. They can try the zone against us, but good luck with that. All right, everybody, we'll see you Tuesday night. In the meantime, have a good rest of your weekend and take care. It is the 200 level.